But let's jump into the message. Today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to continue in the great escape. What did I do with my glass? There they are. Uh, we're continuing in the great escape. And what's been really great, this is our 81st week. I know it doesn't seem like it's been that long. I know for you guys it feels like it's just been yesterday. But it's been a little while. We're working through. But last week, Brother Eric did a great job of really sharing to you guys and talking to you guys about love, right? About not only love, God's love for us, but how our love is supposed to be expressed to other people, right? And I appreciate his faithfulness to do that very, very much. But what's really interesting is the fact that love, that foundation of love that he talked about is going to be really instrumental for us to, take, to, to keep in mind as we work through this aspect of the tabernacle. It is a foundational reason of why God built the tabernacle. Two weeks ago, we had a message called the intimacy with God. And what we did then is God really, really what God did in that moment was he told me to pause. We were working through all the logistics of the tabernacle and God was like, it's time to stop. So we stopped and we talked about what the purpose of the tabernacle was. We talked about the fact that God, the reason for the tabernacle was to restore intimacy with humanity, which had been broken because of our sin. And we saw this beautiful picture in the tabernacle of what's happened in our lives as believers. And what's cool about it is the fact that you and I, our intimacy was restored by the death of our Savior on the cross. And it was through his death, burial, and resurrection that the impossible was made possible, where sinful unholy man was allowed to commune with a holy and sinless God. So there's that beautiful picture that we see in the tabernacle. So as we're going to go today, we're going to jump into the construction more so. We, cover, we went through the coverings. We talked about the coverings before. But now we're going to actually talk about the structure of the actual tabernacle proper. Now, the tabernacle proper is going to be the, the holy of holies and the holy place as it's covered. Now, as we talked about the coverings we studied, those are going to be draped over the structure that we're going to see built today. And in Exodus 26, as we saw in that message three weeks ago about following the instructions of God, we noticed the fact that in Exodus 26, God gave all the instructions whenever Moses was up on the mountain. And what's happened now is Moses has now relayed those instructions, and what we saw was they were very meticulous in staying right on track of everything that God was telling them to do. So what we see is the very last part of Exodus 26, verse number 30 says this, and thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. Okay? So what he's saying is, hey, you know what? Make sure you follow my instructions. I've told you exactly how to do it. Now just do it. So now Moses, as the construction supervisor, has got his instructions. He's got his blueprints on his shoulder. He's got his overalls on. He goes down. He's like, fellas, let's get to work. Bezalel and the boys grab all their stuff, and they're knocking and banging away. Right? So now what we see is Moses' job was to relay God's instructions to the people. He wasn't supposed to add to it. He wasn't supposed to subtract to it. He wasn't say, well, I'd like it a little bit longer or a little bigger. His job as the man of God was to relay God's plan to the people. And that's going to do. That's my desire today. I'm going to do my very, very best to relay to you God's plan for us in our message today, which is called Redeemed from Corruption. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for blessing us today with this opportunity to gather uh, as a body. Lord, thank you for the spirit that keeps us and holds us and strengthens us. God, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to hear from you. And Lord, I do thank you for this scripture. Uh, the book of Exodus has been an incredible adventure for me. And I pray also for my brothers and sisters as we've learned a tremendous amount. And uh, Lord, as today, I know you have spoken to me. This message has been a, a bit of a struggle this week. But Lord, thank you so much for the clarity that I received even yesterday. And God, uh, what you gave me this morning. Thank you so much for what you have done in my heart. Lord, I pray that you'll allow me to get out of the way. God, that I would just simply vanish. And that, Lord, you will speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter number 36, verses 20 through 38. 26 
Exodus 20. It says, and he made boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. Okay, and what's interesting about shittim wood, shittim wood is actually what we would call today acacia wood. It's for the best of our understanding. And what's been interesting is we studied wood in the past. We looked at what wood represents. Wood represents something that which is corruptible, okay, something that is corruptible. So what we see is wood is something that decomposes. If I were to leave a piece of wood lying on the ground or leave it out in the weather over a period of time, that, that piece of wood is going to change because of its exposure to the world around. Does that make sense? Now, when you and I think about something that we know of that is potentially corrupted by the, the world around it, can we think of anything at all that's potentially corrupted by the world around it? <laughs> yeah, right? So what we see in this wood, this is a picture of humanity, okay? This is a picture of humanity. So we think about the, the fact that you and I can be corrupted. Romans 1, verses 23. Now, what happens here in Romans 1 is this is really addressing what's going on in the world, even as we speak right now, as the world is becoming more and more corrupted. But this is what it says about the people of the time. It says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like to corruptible man. Right? It clearly says corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So here we have God is incorruptible, and you and I are absolutely corruptible. That's our problem. So mankind has this issue of corruption. And how many of us can attest to that's the fact? We've been corrupted perhaps? Yeah. Just probably on the way here. <laughs> so we look at that aspect. Now what I want to do is I want us to go back in Exodus chapter number 32. We had an example of corruption that we actually walked through. In Exodus chapter number 32, verse number 7 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down. Now we know the circumstances here, what's happened is the Israelites are all waiting based on the mountain. Moses has gone up to receive from God. He's been up there for 40 days. And during that 40-day period, the people lose sight of what it is they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to serve God. But they have, hey, you know what? We're going to do something different. And what happens is they fall back to their old ways. They create that golden calf. And it says, go get thee down for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've corrupted themselves. Understand, they have already been delivered. Right? They were in a pagan land. They were controlled by that paganism. What's happened is they've been delivered out of it. They have a choice now. So what they do is they have a tendency, they go right back into paganism. They go right back into sin. This, this whole aspect of this is a choice. It is a choice. Sin is a choice. Ephesians 4.22 says this, that you put off concerning the former conversation. Former conversation, when you see the word conversation, it's talking about your, the things you say, but it's also it's talking about your lifestyle. It says that you put off, you're not supposed to embrace the, the former conversation of the old man. This is the person we were prior to salvation, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Our old man, prior to salvation, man, we were corrupted. We were born into corruption. It was a part of who we are. Our very nature was corrupted, and we were consumed with fleshly lusts. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says this, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright. God created man to do the right thing, but they have sought out many inventions. Inventions there, it's talking about troubles. Troubles. That basically, if we were to re, -re say that in today's vernacular, we might say, they go looking for trouble. Who's ever gone looking for trouble before? Man, right? When you're a high schooler, it's on Friday night, your friend calls you up, let's go out, and you're like, okay, man, what are we going to do? I don't know, man, let's just see what happens. Well, you know what you're looking for, and you know what you're going to find, right? The devil will make absolutely certain that trouble will meet you wherever you are, right? So we know that that's a part of who we are. So here we are out looking for trouble. And what happens if I lost or saved? Lost person or saved person? Understand, if we follow our desires and our fleshly lusts, Corruption is going to affect our life. 
Because you can be a born-again, sanctified God, a child of God, but guess what? You open yourself up to corruption, you will become corrupted. I don't care who you are. I don't care how great your commitment to God is. If you open yourselves up to corruption, it will impact you. Because I can be a piece of wood laid out in the way. I'm not, I'm not going to rot. I'm not going to rot. I'm not going to rot. I'm gonna, eventually, guess what? Rot's coming. And no matter how, how strong you may believe you are, corruption will get you. Understand, sin is not something that happens to us, right? People say this, well, the devil made me do it. That's not the case. The devil doesn't make you do anything. The devil tempts us, right? He tempts us. He puts us in situations. And then what follows is up to us. Right. So 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 temptation is always going to be a part of who we are. But corruption and sin is a choice. And we, and we talk about right. You've heard the expression, the fall of man, the fall of man. It's important to distinguish the fact that Adam and Eve did not fall into sin. They chose their way into sin. And let's take a look at that real quick as sin had entered into the world in Genesis chapter number three, verses one through seven. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Notice the very first words of Satan are questioning the words of God right away. Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question mark. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, God hath said Ye shall not eat of it. Notice this, Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Okay? So she says, you're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch that tree. God's actual instructions are in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, okay, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So, Moses, or so, so Adam wasn't told that you can't touch it. He was told, don't eat it. So we know that Adam has relayed some instructions to, to, uh, to what's her name? Eve, right? <laughs> He's relayed some instructions. He's like, baby, look, we ain't supposed to eat that tree. In fact, you know what? Let's not even touch that tree. Let's just stay away from it. What do you say? What do you think? You think that's good? She's like, okay, baby, that sounds good. Let's do that, right? So that's where we stand. Now, so that's she knows. Listen to the very first thing. Listen to what Satan says about that very thing. So God says, thou shalt surely die. Clearly says it. This is what's going to happen. And the serpent said, verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He literally repeats back, but he says, You know what? He wouldn't be in straight with you. He lied to you. Now listen to this. He goes a little further. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Let me give you a little bit of revelation there, Eve. God wouldn't be in straight with you. This is the real deal. Now, with that new knowledge, let's see how she responds. And when the woman saw, whoa, my eyes have been opened. A revelation has come. God wasn't being honest with me. So what happens? And the tree was now good for food. Before it was poisonous. Before it was dangerous. Now it's good for food. And then it was pleasant to the eyes. Now it looks good. And to be desired to make one wise. I was just missing out. God wasn't being straight with me. I had an opportunity to have this great knowledge. And it says here, she took of the fruit thereof. And Satan jammed it down her throat. He made her eat. He put a knife to her throat. No, she did eat. And then jammed it in her husband's mouth. No, that's <laughs> not what it says. And gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. Right? Not force-fed. They made a choice. They willingly stepped into sin. They corrupted themselves. And then verse number 7 says this, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they were and knew that they were naked, 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What's interesting about nakedness is they were naked prior to the sin, right? No problem. There's no sin attached to nakedness at that point. There's no shame attached to it. But as soon as they sinned, instantly they recognized there's a problem. And guess what? Nakedness in the Bible always represents sin and shame. And guess what? It has to be covered. It has to be covered. It has to be a covering for sin. So what do they do? They do the best they can with their human mindset, and they make aprons that do not work. Because what happens here in Genesis 3, what we're going to see is a prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his burial and his resurrection, his payment for sin. Right here, we're going to see this. Right, Check this out. Genesis 3, 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. So in order to cover their shame, their sin, a life had to be sacrificed, right? It took a blood sacrifice. It took the life of someone else. And what's interesting is we find out that it actually was a lamb. Check this out in Proverbs 27, 26. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. A lamb. A lamb gave its innocence life to cover the sin of mankind. Do we see something there? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Look at this. And then what did John 129, what did John say? He says, and, the day, and then it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Way back here in Genesis 3, we have a picture of Jesus Christ way back here at the very beginning. Throughout the Bible, man, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, and what we see pictured here, and what we're going to see pictured as well is what we look at today. We're going to see Jesus Christ, the picture of redemption from corruption. That's what we're looking at today. We're going to see it throughout this entire study. Again, no one falls into sin. It is a choice. James 1, verses 12 through 15 says this, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Endureth, meaning that when he is tempted, he does not fall prey to that temptation. He endures it, right? Now, when he does that, for when he is tried, tried means tested. So when he's tested, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Remember, those that love God, they hate the world. You love the world, guess what it says? You hate God. So it says here, those that love the world, those that were tested, those that were tried, and guess what? They fell in love with the world. That means they hate me. And what's the result of that, right? God, unfortunately, what happens is God blesses faithfulness just like he punishes unfaithfulness. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So if you have temptation in your life to do something wrong, it is not coming from the Lord. I promise you. Now, you have an enemy just like I do, and guess what he's doing every single day? He's looking for weakness. He's looking for a way to prey upon the one thing that maybe you have a weakness towards. The devil pays close attention to us. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, but there are lots of demons, and guess what they can do? They can watch you, and they can take notes on every time you have a place where you're weak, and they'll go, you know what? Here's our spot. There's our target. That's where we're going to hit them. Let's try that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. You ever notice how your temptations have a tendency to sort of be narrow and hit you in the same spots again and again? It's not by coincidence. Verse 14, but every man is tempted. Notice this. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So what enticed him? His own lust. In verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Right? That's talking about a physical death, but it's also talking about a spiritual death. It bringeth forth death. You see, when we are without Christ, when you do not know the Lord, you are spiritually dead. If you got saved, there was a time when you were quickened by the Spirit. Quickened means brought to life from a dead spirit. 
And already understand. So if you're not, if you've never received Christ, you are condemned already. Anyone. Understand John 3, 18 says this. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of Man, Son of God. So this byproduct, this is not a byproduct of us. It's a byproduct of where we come from. This is the natural man that we are. Romans 5, 12 says this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Ecclesiastes seven twenty says this. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So it's because of our nature that we are separated from God. We are separated from God. So that issue that needs to be redeemed is the corruption of humanity that is a part of who we are when we're born. But it's also the continued, it continues in our life because of the continued influence of the world around us. The day, every single day, man, it's trying to penetrate you. It's trying to affect you. It's trying to, 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 to uh, poison you. I might say. So as it's continued connection to the world, it's that continued connection that we have every single day that continues to keep us separated. And as children of God, guess what? We can allow corruption to divide us from God. The very thing, the very thing that connects us. Guess what? When we got saved, it should have been broken. It should have been cut. Look, when I received Christ as my Savior, look, I was redeemed in that moment. I was taken out of the world. The sins of my past, the sins of my future, they're all taken care of. And that's where it should be a break. This should be right there. I should go, boom, that's where it changed. But what happens is, bottom line is, guys, there are people that, are, that claim to be Christians that are as corrupted by this world as any lost person you will ever find. And they carry the name Christian. They may be tattooed with it. 2 Peter 1 forces this, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that, ye, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Notice it says might be. It doesn't say will be. You might be, based upon the choices that you make, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Escaped it. He says, look, when you got saved, you were free. You're out, man. Run. Go the other direction. Don't play with sin. Stay away from corruption. Get away from it. And as we talked about on Wednesday night, so many times we find ourselves drawn back to things that we used to be lured by. Because guess what our flesh still has? Lust. Desires. All those things that are inside of us. That's why we must learn to deny them. Again, sin is by choice. The corruption that the world brings not only brings corruption to the physical body through disease, but it corrupts our very own souls. Listen to this in Proverbs 8, 35 and 36. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. He's saying those that love the world. Guess what? They love, they love death. And that's, not, that's obviously talking about, there's lost people, absolutely. You know, that's talking about their spiritual death. But what about this? What about you and I? Because of the life that we live, because of the choices that we make, because of the things that we embrace in this life, is it possible that that death is talking about the fact of the people that we influence? Is it possible that because someone watches my life and because I'm a hypocrite or because I'm inconsistent in my walk, that their spiritual death is going to be attached to me? Guaranteed. Guess what? We're all hypocrites. I can look back on tons of situations that I was like, man, I handled that wrong. Man, I didn't do that right. You know what? That person was rude to me, and I did not return that at all the way I should have. I didn't show them grace. I showed them anger. I showed them frustration. So what happens is you and I, guess what? We're responsible. 
We live this life, and there's this corruption that's all around us, and we find, well, I can justify, well, I had every right to be mad. I had every right to react that way. I had every right to say that. But we don't. We don't. If you're to be away from this thing, we've got to be redeemed from it. And we're going to see how God does that in our lives. But bottom line is, you and I are supposed to hate this world and love God. We're supposed to, because understand, there may be people that will one day open their eyes in hell because of the choices that you and I made in this life. God put them in our path to cross with us. And in that moment, we were supposed to touch them for the gospel's sake. And we did not. And, they, you know, and praise God, there may be people that will be in heaven one day. And they'll be celebrating and glorifying God because we sanctified ourselves from the world. Because we lived the love of Christ. And instead of displaying our flesh, we displayed the Lord. But it comes down to this. It's a choice, man. And these boards of shittim wood, guess what? They're going to picture, they picture the corrupted as well as the corruptible souls of man. Verse 21 in Exodus 36. The length of a board shall be, or was, ten cubits, and the breadth of a board, one cubit and a half. So a fifth, uh, ten cubits is 15 feet approximately. So you're looking at, this is about an eight-foot wall, seven feet beyond that. That's a big chunk of wood. This thing's huge, and it's about two and a quarter feet wide. So these are great big beams of wood. One board had two tenons equally distant from one another. Thus, he make, uh, thus did he make, all, uh, make, make for all the boards of the tabernacle. I've got an image I'm going to show you. To sort of, if you don't know what a tenon is, a tenon is these things right here. right? This is a tenon, and then there'll be a joint that they're going to fit into, which is going to be down here. So these things, almost like legs, almost like feet, right, on the bottom of the boards. And he says, and he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side southward, and 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. Now, what we see is in that picture again, these are the sockets. These are sockets of silver. They're individual. There's two of them for each board. These things weigh on about 100 pounds a piece of silver. This is a tremendous, I don't know what it would be worth today. It would be a chunk, man. So here they are, almost like shoes that the tenon will stand inside of. And what's interesting is the fact that they're made out of silver because silver in the Bible has a representation. It represents redemption, redemption. And what's cool about this is here we have these aspects of the wood representing humanity, and then we have redemption down below it. So what it's picturing us to, is, to us is this. Now, when we talk about the world, right, we talk about the world, the world is always a representation of sin. So here's the world, and here's corruption, and the only way that we can come in contact with the earth, with the world, is by way of redemption. Does that make sense? So here, redemption, the redemption of God is the thing that allows humanity to have contact with the world. So the only thing that keeps me from being corrupted by the world in this image is the redemption of Christ, right? It's because I'm redeemed. I'm not going to be corrupted. I have an opportunity by standing in my redemption, by planting in my foundation of faith in Christ and knowing who I am and whose I am, I can stand in this world and not be condemned or not be corrupted by it. Does that make sense? So we have a picture here of humanity. It made me think like this. Like, you ever go to the beach, you know, and like you've got to cross a road and it's like blazing hot, like 12 o'clock and you're barefoot and you're like, oh man, here we go. Run fast, baby. You know, and when you hit that, that asphalt, if you stop and stand there, it's going to scorch you, dude. It wreck your feet. So what do you do? You put on flip-flops, right? Now they may not be made out of silver, but guess what they do? They redeem you from the pain of the, of the ground. There's corruption in that burning hot flat and it's going to affect your body. So it almost works like an insulation. So you and I can be insulated from the world around us, the corruption of the world, through our relationship with Christ. And isn't it interesting, the fact that it is two tenons, 
and they stand in two individual sockets. They could have made it as one big block. And I thought it was interesting in the fact that it's almost like legs, almost like standing in feet. Notice this in verse 24, and this is unique. It said, well, we just read it. It says, the 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20, 20 boards, two sockets under one board for, look at the word it uses, his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And this entire portion of Scripture, that's the only place that's going to show up, as if he's saying, hey, you know what? Here's a picture here. I'm using the personal pronoun, his Pay attention to what I'm telling you. Notice what I'm saying. So the silver sockets picture the saving power of Christ that redeemed us. But they also picture the fact, like I said, as believers, you and I, if we're going to have contact with this world, as long as I am within the redemption of God, I can have contact with this world and not be corrupted by it. That's a picture that it's shown us for our corrupt humanity. And what's cool about that, it pictures redemption. And think about this in Revelations 5, 9, what we're going to sing one day when we are in heaven. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. Thou wast slain, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood. Now notice, what are we redeemed from? Right, we're redeemed from out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We might say the world, right? Redeemed from the world. And praise God for the redemption. But you know what? Guess what? As redeemed people, God has expectations for us. Expectations of how we should live. Look at this in Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I see and come and come to see you or be else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit. Just like these boards are standing, we're to stand fast in one spirit, right? And it says, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we're supposed to stand for the Lord, no doubt about it, but guess what? We're not only supposed to stand, we're supposed to stand united Right? And look at those boards. They're connected side by side by side by side, 20 all the way down the side. They're all going to be connected. We'll see the connecting points. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that, ye be, that there be no divisions among you. Right? Be stuck together. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Pictured again, in this picture, you see, they are perfectly joined together all the way down the side. Verse 25 says this, And for the other side of the tabernacle, which is toward the north corner, he made 20 boards. So now we have these two different sides facing identically, and they're facing one another. Now they're all going to be seen sitting in sockets of silver. Verse 26, And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. Now, the only way that the church would stand united is they're all standing together on their foundations of redemption, their foundations of silver. Now, verse number 27 says this, And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, he made six boards. Okay, So there'll be six boards. The westward is going to be the back side of the tabernacle. And two boards made he for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. So if you notice here, they made these boards on the outside, these extra boards here that are connected, they work as a connecting point to tie this together. They'll have their own sockets, they have their own things, and they also have a ring on them. It says, and they were coupled together, coupled beneath and coupled together at the head thereof to one ring. Thus he did to both of them uh, in the both the corners. So we see here, this is an artist rendition. We don't know exactly how it all works and how it's connected, but they believe that the ring actually would connect forward and flip forward and lock onto that to kind of help hold it together as it was all brought together into the silver sockets. Verse 30, and there were eight boards, and their sockets were 16 sockets of silver under every board, two sockets. Again and again and again, we see this board with the two, board with the two, board with the two. And you'll see the image there. It just kind of gives you an idea. That's how it would kind of look across the back. So the back of the tabernacle has eight boards. And what's interesting to notice is that it's on the west. 
Okay? It's on the west. The reason why that's relevant is because guess what? God always moves from east to west. God always moves from east to west. Check this out. Now, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? When you go back to the Garden of Eden and they give uh, Adam and Eve the boot, right? Boom, they kick them out. What do they do? They set up cherubims, right? The two cherubims are supposed to be there, and they're supposed they're stationed to guard the entrance of the garden. Look at this in Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Then you have Ezekiel. There's a time when Ezekiel, that God comes pouring into the temple, and as God comes into the temple, guess where he comes from? Ezekiel 43.4. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. Toward the east. And guess what? When the Lord returns, guess where he's going to come from? He's going to come from the east. Matthew 24, 27 says this, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. God's going to come east to west. That's his entrance. The entrance of the, of the, of the tabernacle is always going to be facing the east for the entry, right? And what's really cool about it is the fact that God pictures himself, right? If we go back to Malachi chapter number 4, verse number 2, what's really interesting there is, and the picture is this. God literally created in nature, we have the sun, the S-O-N. He is the light of the world, he tells us. And then here is in the S-U-N, the physical sun. And here in the physical sun, that physical sun is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every morning when he rises in the east, and he goes to the west, right? Look at this. Malachi 4.2 says this. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise. Notice this. Look at it. The Son of Righteousness. It's capitalized. It's not S-O-N. In this one, it is S-U-N. He's saying in nature itself, that capital S-U-N is my Son. So every time you see that thing rise, it's pointing the fact that, you know what? He is returning and he will come from the east. And guess what? He's heading west. Praise God. Beautiful pictures of God throughout. Not only in the Bible, man, but it's all around us. If we just take the time to see it, God has a purpose and a plan for everything if we could just see it. And I guarantee you that's no misprint, man. That is absolutely intentional. It says, The Son of Righteousness shall, it says, Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Verse 31. And he made bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle, and five boards. Uh, and five, for, uh, five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the side westward. And you can sort of see these bars. There's going to be rings here on the tops, and those rings have bars that are slid through them to help connect it all together, and that's what it's referencing here. So as we look at that, now these bars are connecting the whole thing together, okay? They're all about the, the structure that's there. I've got one more verse I need to read you. Here we go. Um, and verse number 33 says this, And he made the middle bar to shoot through the boards from the one end to the other. So there's going to be one last board. If you pop back to that picture real quick. So this last board is going to be one continual one. And it's going to be literally about 45 feet long. And that board's going to literally be pushed all the way through. So once the other boards are all connected, they're going to run that one through the center that will connect the whole thing together. And what's interesting about that, so... If we think about this from a spiritual, and obviously we see from a physical standpoint, we understand what its purpose is, right? It's a 15-foot tall. This is the walls. This is the tabernacle. That thing's all just about kind of holding it together. But there's also spiritual pictures in everything that we're talking about. And if we look at this from a spiritual standpoint, we see that these are the connections, seen and unseen, that tie us together as a church. This is what pulls us together. 
You see the rings. What do the rings represent? When you have a wedding, we always talk about the ring, right? And what does it represent? It represents eternity, right? It's an eternal bond. So those rings represent, as believers, the bond of eternity, which we all have in common. We have the same destination, right, as believers. We hold that. That's a commonality. Then there's the bars themselves, right? What are the bars? The bars represent the physical connections. They represent the relationships between believers, man, that unite us in cause. And then there's that other one, man, the bar that runs through the middle, the one that's unseen, the one that dwells within us. When you go to anywhere around the world and you meet a Christian, you have an instant fellowship because there's a spirit of God that lives within you and it unites us as family. So even these bars are pictures of God's spiritual work. It's just awesome. I don't know if y'all think it's awesome, but I think it's awesome. Every time I read this stuff, I'm always like, dude, this is awesome. I'm by myself and I'm like, yeah. Anyway, just the way I am. So. As we look here, and then it's getting ready to go to a whole nother level. It's getting ready to be really cool now. It's getting ready because it's been cool up to now, but that gets even cooler. So check this out, verse 34. And he overlaid the boards with gold and made their rings of gold to be places for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. So we saw the silver, man. The silver is incredible. It's a picture of redemption, but the gold is even cooler because the gold is a picture of deity. Gold is a picture of God. So all these things that are going to be seen inside the tabernacle, they have to be gold because guess what? This is a representation of God. This is a representation of God's dwelling place. So everything needs to have that look. It also represents the work of God. So what we see here is the fact that God is working through this. And then, yeah, you've got representing spiritually what's going on in, 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 in God's work in this place. But understand, the rings are going to be gold. The bars are going to be gold. But then those corrupted or corruptible boards they're going to get covered in gold. And what we see is humanity in the corruption and deity in the gold becoming one. Do we see what that is? Yeah, right? So here we see the incorruption or the corruptible being brought together within corruption. And what we see time and time again in the Bible is the fact that Jesus is constantly being displayed Constantly being revealed. You can go from book after book after book after book. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. You can find Jesus through the entire Bible. And there is no place where Jesus shows up more than in this tabernacle. The tabernacle is the most significant object that exists in the entirety of all of, of our history. It is the most significant object in for all of human history or the history of this world. And this is where we will see Jesus pictured yet again. So the very fact here is this is our Savior. We're seeing him represented in the humanity. And as the gold now encases it, representing God, we see a picture of what God did when he came to earth in human form. The corruptible being made incorruptible. Being fully God and being fully man. Check this out. What did Jesus say in John 1.1? Or what does it say in John 1.1? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And notice capital W-R-D. It's pointing to Jesus, W-R-D. Word, that's Jesus, was God. Verse John, John 10.30 says this, I and my Father are one. He says, I am God. John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh. So God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. So here we see him coming. But what's amazing about it is the fact that it's 700 years before he comes. Isaiah. Isaiah gets a vision, and he writes it down, praise the Lord. And he says this in Isaiah 9, 6. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Let me ask you a question. The first time he came, was the government upon his shoulders? No. He was treated as a street rat. He was lied about and cheated. and he, uh, None of these things. The government was not upon his shoulders. He was not called all these wonderful things. He was an outcast. But there is coming a day when, guess what? This every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and every government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be seen in that moment as wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And peace will reign upon this earth. But what's cool? So here's the prophecy. 700 years later, we know what happens in Luke verses, chapter 1, verses 30 through 35. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And, Jesus, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him to him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is talking about eternal and it says, and then Mary said, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So not only is Jesus pictured here in the corruptible wood and the incorruptible gold being brought together, but guess what? So are we. So are we. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 through 54. For this corruptible, speaking Paul says this, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Guys, this is not just talking about the moment when you open your eyes in heaven. He's saying, look, when you get saved, guess what? You've been encased in gold. You are now a child of the king. You are God's. You are, this is your redemption. This happened here. And what happens is so many of us live with expectation of one day victory. One day I'm going to get off this blasted earth, and you know what? I'm going to finally have victory, because you know what? This place is terrible. Guess what? You're already supposed to be living in victory here. It's already been established. It's already been taken care of. So many of us live defeated lives. We live it. I was like, I just got to survive. Just got to keep going. And God's going, oh, no, 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 no. You're already victorious, by the way. And while you're here victorious, why don't you let the light of your life shine into the lives of others? Why don't you make a difference in this world? Why don't you bring others to the knowledge of that victory. So here we are. We're supposed to be living in victory. So why don't we? It's because, ungratefully, here we stand in our sockets of silver, and we're like, hmm, that looks kind of cool. What if I just try out the ground a little bit? Let me just try a little bit of the world. We take, we literally deny our very redemption, who we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to represent, and we choose to put ourselves in contact with the world. Not because we have to, because we choose to. God's given us a way out. He's given us a way out. We can be sanctified. We can walk with God. We can honor Him in everything that we do. Or we can choose to do it our way. Because the problem is, we think we know best. You know, God, you know, I understand. I understand. He's given the rules and regulations and all stuff. You know, I, 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 but I know what to do. God's warned us, man. Galatians 6, 8. What did He say? Soweth unto the Spirit, or soweth unto the flesh, and reap Corruption. He's warning believers, don't play with the world. It has no place in your life. And, you know, and it says in Colossians, it says in Colossians 3, it says you're supposed to mortify your flesh, man. 
You and I, if we're dead, we can't be tempted, right? If you're laying dead on the ground and I dangle a nice warm steak in front of your nose, you're not going to be like, oh, dang, i got to have a bite. You're dead, man. You ain't going to react. So if I'm dead spiritually, if I go, look, you know what? I'm no longer going to allow my flesh to rule my life. I'm killing this flesh, man. I'm going to take it to the cross. Well, guess what? When temptation comes, it doesn't have the impact that it would. The problem is if we're not feeding ourselves spiritually, we're not growing in the Lord, you're not in the Word of God, you're not praying, you're not sanctified, what you're doing is, guess what? You're standing in the midst of the regular... Your, your redemption sitting over there and you're standing here in the midst of corruption being corrupted. We allow the thing that should never happen to us happen to us day by day. We plug ourselves into the Internet and we look at all the garbage that pours out of that thing, man, and the impact that it has on us. You and I have got to be careful the way we're going to impact this world is by being sanctified and set apart from this world. The Bible says we're supposed to be a peculiar person. We're not supposed to look like everybody else. We should be this golden board standing amongst, on top of silver sockets. So what we find is, you and I play with corruption. Again and again and again, even though we do this, God displays his long suffering. Yes. Forgiving. Caring loves us. And he's like, you know what? Even though you fail, I know you can do better. He's like a cheerleader for us. You know, you fall down. The good news is he's not like, yeah, you know, he's like, again, really? All right, let's get up. Come on. Come on. I know. I know. Come on, get up. I know. You got yourself in a mess again. I got you. Hold, let me just, all right. Let's get back to work. That's God. Awesome is that. Amen. Amen. How many times do we fall, man? And time and time and time again, he gets us up. He says, don't be defeated. Remember, you're victorious. Don't forget. You're seated in heavenly places. Don't forget. You're my child. Go represent me to this world. Make a difference. Go touch someone's life for my glory. Because what happens, man, we can, man, we can. God came to save us. He came to redeem us. He came to change our lives. He came to use us, man. And the thing is, we're so ungrateful. We find ourselves in sin. It's because we're selfish. It's because we're, self, we're, we're self-willed. It's because we're arrogant. And because we're prideful. We believe we know best. And it's like God saying, look, walk in faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. Don't trust in yourself. Don't follow your emotions. Follow me. Follow the word. I've given you a roadmap for life. I've guided you how to do this thing. Walk in redemption. And listen, I'm not preaching at you guys. I'm preaching to me too, just so you know. (laughs) I'm not pointing any fingers because, dude, I'm telling you, I fight the same battles that you fight. We're all in the same thing. It comes down to this. Redemption. Redemption. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we truly redeemed? Do we know without a doubt? And I'm not here to get you to question your salvation. That's not what today's about. But do you truly know you have been redeemed? You've been separated from this world, the corruption of this world. You feel the insulation from it. You can feel those times in your life. You go, you know what? I am free. I am free. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, boom, that bond was broken. And God said, look, I want you to, from here on out, live for me. Keep these silver shoes on your feet and walk on this planet to change the world for my sake. 
Don't step out of them and start tromping around this place for you, because guess what you'll do? You'll bring destruction to everyone you come in contact with. Because all those people that watch me, that know I'm a Christian, who watch me tromping around in the world and suffering with the corruption and the results that come from it, they're judging God based upon my walk. We've got to be careful, right? So first of all, we've got to know that we are truly redeemed. And if we are redeemed, are we staying sanctified? Am I staying out of the world? Am I setting myself away from this stuff? Am I making a difference for the cause of Christ? Am I constantly looking at the, the, the distractions that are around me and the ways that Satan's trying to draw me? Because I'm saying corruption is subtle. It's subtle. Because the devil didn't show up to Eve and drag her over and jam that fruit in her mouth. He just gave her enough information to get her curious, to get her to see things from a different perspective. And all it takes, and the Bible understands this, that there's a spirit of antichrist that works in this world. And it takes spiritual truth. It'll take this Bible, and it will twist it up into a knot right before your eyes, and you'll never even understand what's going on. And the Jehovah's Witness gets, to, gets through talking to you, and you're going, man, you know what? Jesus is a created being. And you know what? Wow, he was killed, and that's an impossibility. And you know what? i, I got to believe Jehovah God, and they're going to take the Scripture and twist it right in front of you. And you know what? People will fall for it every single day because guess what? They don't know the Word of God. You and I need to be in this Word. In this Word. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm throwing glasses. We need to be in this Word. Because bottom line is, you know what? If you are redeemed, the way you sanctify yourself, the way you set yourself apart is through this. This will feed you. This will fortify you for the battle that's ahead. So, first of all, we have to understand the fact that we are truly redeemed. We have no business being messing with this world. We have no business. And understand, if you're redeemed, live like it. That's my proclamation. <laughs> live like it. But then the other question might be this. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe say, you know what? I'm tired of what this world has brought me up to this point. I'm tired of feeling sad. I'm tired of feeling shame. I'm tired of being fearful of tomorrow. I'm tired of feeling broken and alone. I'm tired of corruption. Because, you know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. But then once you get past that season, oh, my goodness. The back side of it is so brutal and destructive. There are people outside of these doors, and our prayer and what my wife and I have been praying is, God, let the messages from this church, let them permeate the walls to our community. Maybe not even through the Internet. Just let God's Spirit work in the community around us to broken people, that they'll cross our paths, not just our paths, but our paths. Because God wants to use you, man. We're all soldiers. The Bible says that we're, you know what, we're supposed to be. We're all members, but guess what? Every member should be a minister. You're supposed to minister to the hurting people of this world. So look for ways that your life can touch other people. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Have a compassionate heart. Don't go through life. You know what? I'm going to put my mask on. I'm going to go to the, I'm just, you know? No. Let your heart be open for the people around you because guess what? There are folks right now that are in desperate need. And as, those, as our paths cross, we can make a difference. We can make a difference. And God can use us. Redemption is for the whole world, man. For God so loved the world, the world. And as he's died for the world and he loves the world, the question is this at the very end. Lost or saved? If you answered yes to any of those questions, the final question is this. Are you willing to put your faith and your trust and your heart in the hands of the Lord? Because guess what? He's ready and willing to redeem us from corruption. If you're a child of God and you're in something you shouldn't be in, stop. Turn to him.
Let your redemption be fortified in you. Walk in it. Live in it. Use that to touch the world. If you don't know him today, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you a chance. You can have true redemption. You may have a religious background, but never have Christ today. The same thing we saw pictured in those boards. Silly boards to hold up a building. It's a picture of who we can be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and this opportunity you've given us to be in your house. And Lord, I do uh, thank you so much for the message, for the beautiful pictures that are there. And God, thank you for speaking to my heart. If no one else received anything from it, God, I know that I did. And Lord, I just do praise you for that. Pray that you'll help us to be, Lord, help us to be emissaries for this, for this world. It is a broken people in this planet. There are people right now that are so desperate, that are so hopeless. But praise God. <laughs> While you're on the throne, Lord, there is hope. And you are eternally on the throne. There's always hope in Jesus. Help us to share that good news with this hurting world. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know. I'm not sure. Wherever you are, if you're online or you're here in the service, and you say, I do not know. If you're that one that answered yes to those questions, and you say, I'm ready to be redeemed. If you're a child of God, man, turn from your wicked ways and turn to him, and he will redeem you. But if you've never received him and you're not a child of God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray today. You can receive that gift. Understand that he loves you right where you are. It's not a matter of anything that you've done that you're worse than anybody else. You're just a sinner like the rest of us. But salvation is not just a matter of making a choice to follow God. It's a matter of surrendering our will to his, knowing that on our own, we can do nothing. He is the key. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's not a magic prayer. It won't be a ceremony. It'll be nothing like that. This is between you and him. I'm only here just to guide you. Lord, and uh, he's ready to receive you. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. You pray this in your heart and your mind. And uh, if you mean it, God will truly redeem you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I, am, I know that I'm a sinner. I have no doubt. I have felt the weight of the corruption in my life and in the lives of my family and people that care about me. Today, I turn from my wicked ways and I turn to you. I know that you are the solution and that I'm the problem. So by faith, I'm asking you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to save my soul. Lord, I put my full trust in you. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.